coming to you from an undisclosed location somewhere in the northern hemisphere waiting out the alien apocalypse. She is armed with a machete and a microphone. Join Michael James as he seeks answers to the paranormal, conspiracies, ancient mysteries, and the occult. Are you ready to trip the fuck out? This is... Beyond the Forbidden. Nigel, for those who may be unfamiliar with you and your research, can you give us a, a brief background on you and how you got involved in this field? Yeah, well, very reluctantly, and I come into it uh, as a scientist. My background is science, and of course, you're taught you're taught to be precise and to think logically and not fit too many square pegs in round holes. So. My history, my family history is one of science and scientists. Uh, I studied medicine, but I didn't actually practice it. I went into ancillary subjects that would, I would say, bear on the scientific realm of things and very interested in actually looking at humbug in science. My, my take on this is that the greatest teacher in the world is Professor Humbug because this guy sits on the fence all the time and he looks down the center of things. And that's an extremely difficult thing to do, you know, Mike, these days mm -hmm. when all of us are, we are all suggestible to a degree, I suppose, and we are herded into echelons of belief. And I do my best to try to keep a straight course in these things and have a look at things on both sides before I will, I will actually pronounce on them. Now, the relevance of that long-winded diatribe is to tell you that this UFO business was the furthest thing from, from on my horizon until my 12-year-old son came to me one day and said, Dad, are UFOs real? Now, I've said this in the books I've written too, because it really bears down on the entire, if you like, anthology of my life in, in, in what I'm talking to you about. And... He came and said, are these things real? And when that little boy spoke, I, I took notice because he had a fair bit of um, stuff between his ears, so to speak, respected it. The only problem there was that he would always do the research and come and ask me a question and drop me in it in, because he knew the answer too well. And I'd learned from a lot of egg on my face to actually check out my answers whenever he asks me a question. <laughs> so I went, I said, I will give you, give me a rain check on that and I will give you an answer in a week because I know nothing about it. Now I have to confess, and I have done this many times on, on radio and in books and so on. I have to confess at that point, I was a total skeptic of, of course I heard about the UFOs and Roswell and all the rest of it. And I thought with everyone else, 
with the drift of thinking that dominates our world, in certain from built by certain echelons of power, shall we say, uh, we were being driven to see this as nonsense and so forth. Anyway, I had a good look at this and, of course, opened the Pandora's box, as I like to say. And oh my goodness, within a week, I was so shocked at what I was finding out. Uh, I was fortunate enough to make some very good contacts in my life in, in powerful places <clears throat> and with a, a bit of reference to them and a bit of guidance to that my week became a month my one month became a year my year became the present time 40 years i'm still researching it still absolutely astonished at what i've found and i think in my own terms of reference in terms of nigel kerner i think that what i'm finding has been brushed and tidied and i absolutely believe that our planet is in big big trouble not from our own kind our human kind but another sort of entity what i call synthetic entities that actually populate the entire universe now when i came to that conclusion you can imagine as a father and answering my son's question how would i do this without uh, giving him a disconcerting answer, you know, one that would scare him and so forth. He was 12 years old after all, but he's a pretty mature child. And so <clears throat> I gently introduced the subject to him and I said, look, in life, don't believe what anyone says. Do the research yourself and write your own book. That way there's less room for controversy and far more room for knowledge. And of course, I did the same thing with, 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 his name's Darren, Darren, and said, you do the same thing. But if you want my opinion and a straight answer totaled up, yes, I do believe there is a phenomenon, uh, an extraterrestrial UFO phenomenon. And of course, I think we have to make the distinction, haven't we? That it is not just an unidentified flying object. That could be anything, it could be a stone. But it has a component and a interpretation of something menacing and very, very dangerous, not just to us, but to the entire body of mankind. And after 40 odd years of research, I am unequivocally convinced that this should be shouted from the rooftops. I hope I'm a sober man. They tell me, these people who believe in things like astrology, they tell me, Nigel, you're a Capricorn. You're pretty cautious. You won't jump to conclusions too easily. You have no real imagination. Yeah. <laughs> Useful thing, Mike, you know, not to have too big an imagination. However, in this case, I don't think you can have large enough an imagination to cover the subject. It really is something extremely disconcerting. And what is open to me? I, I am fairly well off. I don't really have to work for a living. Uh, as a writer, I, I, I make a good living and, and I actually am independent of other sources of control. And that, Mike, is a very, very important thing. And one of the things, by, incidentally, I admire in people like you who go out there and take the trouble and take the world on and have a go, that is really brave to me. What I am doing is just receptivity, really. Somebody comes and asks me a question, I would answer them and so on. Relatively easy. But I've had the most terrifying experiences, not personal experiences in terms of all this space stuff and whatever, but in terms of affirming 
through science where our universe and what we are as a existential condition mm -hmm. that is just being their condition um, is all about so i shifted from looking at the medical side of things more into straight science and from there the interface came about that um, uh, actually dawned on me from what i was doing from the research itself that there is some component and very strong component it turned out of religion in all of this. Now, I'm a rather skeptical person when it comes to things out there and spirits and all of that when, when I started out. But I wondered why these great teachers would come, take some such chances amongst us, get murdered, get killed in the most draconian ways, and still come back for more in some instances. Yeah. For instance, I'm not a I'm not a I'm I'm not a uh, out and out Christian believer, but I believe in the individual who started the ethos very much indeed, because the science that actually pertains to him is sensational in confirming that yeah. some extraordinary being came here with extraordinary invective and power to speak to mankind. He was torn to shreds, you know, when they examined his body, Mike, they had 306 wounds on it. They tore into his hands and they put two nails, eight to 10 inches long, through the wrists, incidentally, not the palms. And then also one very big one through the bones of the feet into mm. some beam of wood. Now, this guy, after being beaten, the skin of his is uh, back out, bleeding profusely, hanging on this cross, his body weight weighing down on his lungs, that individual must have been in utter agony. Now, if he was telling a lie, I think any man before that would have cast doubt on what he was saying, but he maintained what he was saying right to his last breath. Yeah. And the thing that convinced me, most of all, that this man and this being was something absolutely extraordinary were his words, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Mm -hmm. Now, that fascinated me, Mike, as a scientist. I mean, I wasn't religious at all, really. Uh, I have to say, not going regularly to church and all that kind of religion yeah. and so forth. But I was looking at it from a scientist's analytical point of view, and I'm sorry about this long-winded diatribe, but you asked me the question. I want to get it done as quickly as you possible. You brilliantly did it, too. <laughs> brilliantly did it. And so... And so I say to you that I took a great interest in the whole thing now from the point of view of another extension to existentiality in physicality as we know it, because when they actually did the research on the Shroud of Turin, I don't know if you've heard of it. Have you yep. heard of this thing? Yeah. Yes. Well, the Shroud. Oh, I'm sorry, I, I, I really, I have to ask that question. Well, I was invited to Frascati in Italy where the Italian nuclear scientists were meeting in a big symposium uh, because of something I'd written in the books and an insight I had about it. They were quite fascinated by this and I went with a doctor friend of mine, uh, interested in a medical doctor, and he wanted to speak there. I'm a backroom boy, Mike. You will understand. That's why I don't want to go up, for, up front on cameras and all the rest of it. Mm -hmm. I love microphone <laughs> I like... also. But, uh, yeah. but I have to ask you, I have to ask yeah. you, when the, I guess when the Pentagon um, 
UFO program, the Tic Tac UFOs came about in December 2017. What was your first and uh, what was your first reaction whenever they came forward with this, the New York Times? Humbug. Professor Humbug was at his best there, really. When you look at the UFO thing, anything that you actually see out there has usually been written, rewritten, sanitized, and put very cleverly by a huge team. And this might sound paranoid, but in fact, I don't think I can be paranoid enough saying it. A huge team of individuals that work for a massively intelligent or, or synthetic type of being. And, that, and then we have to look at what on earth these things are here for. Why would such a type of being come here against the laws as we understand, the laws of physics, which says you can't go faster than 186,000 miles per second per second, right? Okay, they come here, the stars are so far apart from each other, so are the planets and so forth. It takes yonks time, you know, Mike, to do this. Incredible time. And no one can say in science, on the earth, that this can be done instantly in any kind of way, except in theoretical physics through particles. And that's what I want to try to go on to in this talk, to give you some insight into something really exciting here that might give us a, 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 a take on why these things are here and why it is so dangerous that we don't fall into their traps. And we, as a, a race of people that can feel devotion and caring and love and mercy and compassion, why we should never be in a situation to have these things literally turned off by an action into us that comes from a technology that we are only just discovering. I'm talking about AI, of course. And so yeah. so it's, it's a big deal, you know, Mike, this whole thing. It's a big thread that we've got to follow and road. And uh, I, when I'm asked on, on, on to talk about these things, I am careful to just mention the things that are immediately pertinent and dangerous to all our welfares. I have children and grandchildren, and I'm sure I don't. Do you have a family? Can I ask you? Yes, I have a wife. Uh, I oh, have no, right. No kids yet, though. All right. Well, I like to think that somewhere along the line, what we are talking about and what I can tell you might be pertinent in you, you making a happy life and future for that future children you might have. Because I tell you, I've got several children and a relatively large family of, of people who aren't biologically tied up to me, but they are friends and we've stuck together and discussed loads and loads of things, existential matters and so forth, making a very interesting life but all the time with an, ac uh, an accent on keeping things clear and pertinent and not wandering off the points. And so in as, in as much as that is so, I'd like to tell you that uh, the Frascati thing turned out to be a revelation to me when one of the scientists got up and said that when they looked at this incredible facial depiction on a linen, on a piece of linen, that it was a burn, it was a scorch, a scorch so powerful that between two folds of linen, they estimate 34,000
thousand million watts of energy flash from a body, seemingly a body, and cause that entire configuration of bodiness to, if I may say that, bodiness, to be photographed in three dimensions. And that depicted accurately statements made about an individual that we talk about called Jesus Christ. Now, mm -hmm. I'm not going to be some kind of preacher here. I really, <laughs> I really yeah. am allergic to preachers, but I have to say <laughs> that I really took interest in this then. I thought, good heavens, how is this possible? Is this true? How could it be true? Here are fantastic scientists, highly qualified nuclear scientists making statements like this. <clears throat> And if this is true, we need to rethink all our tomorrows, never mind our yesterdays. <laughs> you know. So, so exactly what what do you think happened? Like, what what exactly is? I guess going into a little bit more detail um, yeah. with the shroud. Like, what yeah. exactly took place for that to happen? You believe? Well, that. You are a very intelligent man in asking that question, and I give you a compliment because it gets to the nub of it straight away. What on earth can do that, Mike? How is it possible that a body in flesh can generate 34,000 billion watts in a flesh, scorched, and it's only the surface fibrils of the linen that are actually uh, affected by this? How is that possible? Is, physics has no way of approaching an answer on that, if you see what I mean. And yet, there it is, there is the evidence. Actually, all the, the scientific group that were involved in Truscarty were given the privilege of walking in front of this object, quite close to it. Everyone else had to stand well back to see it. And I was, I took, a, I mean, obviously I took a great interest in it. It's, a, it's really not very spectacular. Uh, it's a light brown stain against a beige background. The definite view of a, a picture and a, uh, a figuration there. Uh, a, new, a new book is coming out in, in, in February, written by Dr. Andrew Silverman, who was there at Frascati and completely overwhelmed by what he saw, in which he does, I think, the best exposition of what the shroud might be. And if I were you and your listeners are, are interested in this kind of thing, they might buy his book because he has a lot of answers there that will amaze humanity. Uh, and so I'm saying to you that the place that that com comes from, that happens or that makes that thing happen is the most interesting thing of all. And if we are going to talk about anything, we as human beings have to talk about a destiny that is placed in the place or the places or the situation that that phenomenon can come from. So I guess we can, would you like to move forward with, um, I guess, our origins and because I've heard you talk on other interviews yeah. uh, about many other topics. You, yeah. you, go, you go way back to the ancient times, uh, you go a little bit into religion. And I've also heard you mention that that um, you were, I guess is on, I forgot what radio show it was, but you, you talked about the archons and from the Gnostic text, the, the Nagamati codex and the graves. 
So can you elaborate a little bit more on that and bring yeah, us up to date we, on that, we, Nigel? Yeah, yeah I'm, I'm doing my best, Mike, because we've, we've got to try to get some kind of ordered semblance here or we'll be talking all over the place and yeah. people would come in probably to your podcast and not understand how to connect up. So <laughs> if I, <laughs> you and obviously that's, that, that happens in, incidentally in most programs, if you, if you see what I mean. So yeah. if you can take a view now, we've got the shroud, we've got this incredible thing that's happened. We've got to explain it. In explaining it, I found a very big answer that could lead as you very eruditely point, point out, to something else, and that is quite simply the grace. Now, you might say, oh, 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 whoa there, Colonel, you're going too fast here. How I didn't know there was go? a connection there. Oh, let me tell you, <laughs> there is a very big connection. And in fact, the connection is all of it. I think this great, this great being that came here that they call Jesus Christ, actually claim to do one thing and that is to warn humankind that these synthetic things exist in the universe that the universe is full of them that in fact it's teeming with them and that the technology that initially made these things actually left them here and got on with going back to where whatever Jesus was came from. Now, I have to say that I don't want to, to hurt people who believe in, in, in religion and, and Christ or whatever it is, mm -hmm. but I really don't, I can't envisage that or describe that to you over a, a radio broadcast. I will say to you that this whole thing with the Shroud is told me that there are two fundamental situations in our universe, Mike. One, is the natural one. And that has an ancestral connection, which verifies it. That's you have a dad, you have a granddad, a great granddad, mm -hmm. and goes back all the way to you. And your, your, your children will have you as the connecting mechanism. That all goes back. Isn't that strange? It yes. all goes back always. And that is only, only possible if you have this thing we call life. That's the greatest mystery. Why is life so unstressfully confined is, is the point. So my point is that if you go back in a line to have life, and therefore I will call that natural, how is it possible that there are synthetic beings here on this planet and that their technology and their abilities seem to far exceed our natural propensities when we as humans can go back in ancestral lines. You might say, how is that possible? How do machines or dead things, static dependent things, how can people actually be less than that? The answer is they are not. Those things will always be less than people. But peopleness, because of its connection, connectability, right, going back, mm -hmm. has in its own terms a rhythm of existence that is a law that pervades the entire universe. And we have different levels of this rhythm, different connectabilities in this rhythm, but we have one thing. 
we go back to a point, a point that the universe itself is suggested comes from. Uh, with the Big Bang, they call it the Big Bang. Only, as you know, it wasn't a Big Bang because mm -hmm. bangs only happen with air. <laughs> and it was all a vacuum. And it, this bang actually created space and time and matter and all the rest of it. I don't want to get too complex and obscure about that. And for your listeners, because I mean, if anyone spoke to me <laughs> and tried to speak to you, I would, I would resent the chap coming at me too much with too many advanced ideas. But I will simply say that you go back to a, everything goes back to an, a point of origin, a single dimensional point, like a, like a dot. Even a dot is misleading, really, in my context, a dot. And then there's supposed, this dot is supposed to suddenly explode. This is what science accepts to this day, and created a momentum which created all there is. So from something smaller than you can even imagine, they ask us to believe all this came. Now, we now have to go back there to get to that dot to try to understand why Jesus Christ came here to try and warn us that something terrible is in the universe that is going to take all those who can go back to that dot in a, in a line out. Interesting. Not, yeah, you see what I mean? It's a really... Yes. It really is a, 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 a kind, seems like a, a real conundrum here. Actually, when you work the thing out, and that's why it's taken me three books to actually sort this out in some kind of sequence and some kind of simplicity, uh, we, uh, we will be able to talk a little bit about these connections, Mike, but obviously in a podcast like this, <laughs> it'll probably take days to fulfill, mm -hmm. the, to fill all the gaps up. But let me tell you this. Now, how do I connect the Jesus Christ to grace? Bring it. I want to hear it. Yeah. Do you remember those? I don't know what you know of the Bible, and I don't know if you have any sort of Christian background, but it is. Grace Pentecostal. All right. Okay. Not Pentecostal no more, though. Thank you. Okay. So let's go. Let's go on this. There's a, a reference in, in the Bible to what they call the temptation of Christ. Now, I looked mm -hmm. at this thing. I thought, now, who is this character they call Christ that somebody will take up a mountain and offer that that somebody offers christ the world if in some way this individual christ would be subservient and would allow this other being that took him up there uh, an ascendancy over him right now mm -hmm. that's put it put, put simply really the the, the, the temptation in, in in up this mountain okay now Number one, taking somebody up, it says taking, the, the, uh, the, the translation from the Aramaic and Christ, and the, the lessons were Aramaic, um, to Greek says, uses the word taken. All the cliche, all, uh, all, all the cities of the earth would be given to Christ by this individual who takes him up this high place and offers him this. Now, you might think this is fairyland, you know, <laughs> or what is going on here, really, if you really take this seriously and have a look. Well, let's say there is something or someone 
powerful enough, first of all, to take Christ up a mountain. As I say, the translation, uh, the word from Aramaic to Greek, which was the first language it was translated to, is the word, uh, implies the word taken. He was taken. He wasn't forced. He was just taken there, mm -hmm. right? And set up at this place and told, I will give you, look at all you, see all you see. If you fall down and worship me, I will give you all of this. Number one, that place would have to be very high if it was set in Jerusalem or anywhere around Jerusalem to see all the cities of the world. And in fact, even if it was referring to the known cities, the famous ones where the trade routes were and all the rest of it, he would never see it from any kind of height in Jerusalem. So he was in a spaceship. Oh, he's, oh, you are a clever chap. <laughs> <laughs> you, get, you got me intrigued. I'm telling you. <laughs> I'll keep, tell you keep what, Keep laying mate. it on us, Nigel. It, 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 it has to be right up there, mate. I'll tell you. This guy was up there high enough to see the whole shebang. <laughs> mm. And if that's the case, there couldn't be any technology that human beings invented at that time that could do that. So something had to come out from outside and do this business. Now, then one has to look at what could do that, how could that be done, and you've got a whole stream of questions coming from that. And so, you know, that's why it takes so many books, so many books to go in any kind of sequential thing and give you, give you the story. I would love to be able to say, this, 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 this is what happened. Yeah. But there'll be so many connectors and so many intelligent people watching and listening to this on your program, I'm sure. There are numerous accounts within many texts in the Coptic Gnostic library, for instance, uh, Mike, in which Jesus carefully explains to his apostles exactly how to deal with the alien beings should they be faced with them. That's actually mentioned in that context like that. Okay? Mm -hmm. And most notably of these explanations is that given to the, in the first, what they call in the sequence of of verifications called the Apocalypse of James in the Nag Hammadi Codex. That's another series of text of, of, of um, parchments and, and, and effects found in caves, the Nag Hammadi caves mm -hmm. in the Middle Eastern area, right? In this text, Jesus explains to the apostle, James, how to cope with these beings who take away souls by theft. What better description of abduction could there be to that? Mm. So, something is here, taking beings outside the technology into impossible stances and places. Wouldn't you be curious, Mike, how this is going? And what well, on earth is going on here? <laughs> well, before you continue, um, yeah. if I had to make a guess, yeah, if I had to make a guess, it could be because these entities, these aliens, uh, the yeah. greys have been known. Uh, you have said a, a lot about it also, but some other researchers have talked yeah. about the greys not having souls. Maybe they're taking these abducting people yeah. across the world and they, yeah. they need these souls to maybe advance yeah. in their yeah. evolutionary process. There, there, there's all kinds of speculations yeah, I, we go down that road yeah well i'll tell you what i wrote a book called gray aliens and the harvesting of souls 
on this very subject. What are they here for? Michael, if we have these things here and they can get here with a technology advanced enough to do that, so much superior to ours, what on earth could we have that they want? It's, 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 a, it's a big question. What mm -hmm. on earth do we have that these things that can do that want? There's only one thing. You know, I mentioned that going back in a line. Yeah. They want, th that means we can come from the beginning of the universe as we know it anyway. Science is always speculating this, that, and the other. In fact, science actually progresses by being wrong, not right. And so I'm not a great believer in the thing I'm trained in, if you see what I'm trying to say. <laughs> I don't take it seriously. That's why I say my greatest pal is Professor Humbug, you know, and they'll pull loads of wool over loads of people's eyes because it's a very good living being a scientist in whatever category you set yourself in. So I am very, very, very uh, suspicious of these guys and what they do. But I'm not suspicious of the ones who are clever enough to write about it, investigate it, and just keep an open mind. That's all. Mm -hmm. Just keep an open mind. So what I'm trying to say in this context is, if this thing happens, what are they after? What do we have, as you rightly asked, what do we have that they want? And it has to be something that is so incredible that it can't be produced out of matter, out of photonic matter. You know that atoms are made of photons. Photons are made of quarks. Quarks are the subatomic particles, so small. They've got, they've got charges and all kinds of things just to establish perturbance from stillness, so to speak. They're the first shake. And that's what matter happens. When matter happens, when stillness itself shakes for the first time, just a slightest shake. And then that loads up one on top of the other, point after point after point, and you get to a hydrogen atom, which is the first coherent assembly of force and shape. And then that is doubled and you could say that the whole, if you like, if you know the, uh, the, the elemental table, the periodic table, it has, I think, something like 118, maybe 119 elements. Most of, quite a lot of them have been actually manufactured out natural, but those elements are basic situations or locations of force that are, can be independent from one another. If you see what I'm trying to say, that's what an element really is. Yeah. So we've got hydrogen, two hydrogens makes helium, and so on and so on and so on. A multiple of hydrogen makes all the others. So 117 of those together in some kind of hydrogen with a little lost when bits join, makes the, 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 the most heavy and the most radioactive, they call it. It's so, so heavy, it's falling apart and throwing all this this stuff out to call radiation, if you know what I'm trying to say. Mm -hmm. And I'm, I'm trying to keep it as simple as possible so that most people can take a look at this in, in, in a bit more detail and study it if they haven't done that. So the point about it is we are getting to very interesting territory here. I'm picking for you main elements that we ought to look at. And I'm hoping that if they listen to your podcast, people will note down these things. I'm connecting Jesus with these creatures. I'm connecting humankind 
through that into a situation that we ourselves are superior to them. In fact, Christ actually told this being, Oi, you, you are less than that a vacuum cleaner <laughs> because you're a machine and you don't know it. And machines don't know their, their, <laughs> their machines. They don't have a self-consciousness. So if this thing is an AI intelligence robot or roboid, it won't know anything about itself. Mm -hmm. Funny, isn't it? And here is a human, one natural being, even a virus is superior to it because it's living. So that's my take on this in, in a journalistic scheme. Uh, I don't want you to believe what I'm saying on, the, on this podcast. All I'm saying is, if you can look at the books, and I don't, by the way, I'm not selling my books through you either. By the, you, that's really not something I'm interested in. If you want to read the book, read the book. But try and answer these questions. The internet is open. Try and answer these questions I'm putting to you on this podcast or wherever you can find it. Don't have to get the answers from my books. I'm not actually selling my books to this. I, I just have to write them because, they, <laughs> because these questions come up and go back to my son's question, Dad, are UFOs real? And I'm having a whale of a time here trying to answer all these questions, but getting into deeper and deeper water and more and more questions. And, you know, people will say, oh, that's very nice, Nigel. You could make a load of money from a load of books because I tell you what, so could you. If you really want to, so could you. Go and write it. Keep it coherent. Put it together. Don't take my word for it until you go and look. And I tell you, if you do this with any sense of grand splendor to your effort, you will find very, very interesting things ahead of you. You will not be bored at all. So those of you who are living with a partner that you're bored with... <laughs> I suggest you go and take a go with something like this and introduce it to your partner too. My goodness me, you'll find your relationship is bang on track again. <laughs> you see what I mean? Yes. Um, and and you, you was talking about the listeners. And with this show, we really do have, with, with the listeners of this show, they are very open-minded. And um, so it, what, when you was talking about uh, the Greys, Jesus yeah. and all of that. One thing kept popping in my head. Yes. And you have mentioned a little bit during this show and other shows that the greys are robotic in nature yes. and almost like androids in a way, for lack of a better yes. term. Yes. So, and we are living flesh and blood beings that have soul or consciousness you, i guess people could debate yeah. on which is what it really matters the same thing yeah but if and continuity that's the most important thing we have to be derived from a previous version we just can't be there we can't be made if yeah. you see what i mean yeah and okay. so if the grays were created because i'm sure they weren't made just they didn't pop out of the Absolutely. Out of the Big Bang as a, an android or a robot, yeah, 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 whatever. Absolutely. <laughs> but let, let's say whoever created the Greys, they have an yes. agenda. Yes. Now, my question is, what is their agenda? I know I'm asking you to speculate, but, you know, just tell me what your Why would they create you. such a thing as the Greys? Well, well, why would they create yeah. them and then 
the creators yeah. of this robotic android type gray entities do they yes. have a soul and or consciousness also or are they yeah. seeking these souls and consciousness no. through the grays and that's why they're yeah. here well uh, there is a there's a very a good answer to this actually a logical one if i if i might say so i mean it's been researched and i've drawn it from different um, uh, sources but uh the establishment, yeah, or the origin of the greys, these super robots, as you say, quite rightly, are made, they are manufactured, they are actually allowed to exist through a procedure from a presumed being, something before them, right? Now, I think when the universe started, it went into light first the first flash of light light changed changed then in gradually to hydrogen hydrogen changed to uh, to matter and so on that's three basic steps it was it was more complex than that but nevertheless that the three basic steps are there now as soon as you get that mike and you're looking at that you ask yourself one thing right mm -hmm. while that is happening if you're coming from a point that can make that happen. How does consciousness prevail in that situation? So I would say that that point, that all encompassing marvelous single point, I would call Godhead, not God, not mummy and daddy type God. That's a super being <laughs> can give you super presence and super He also mentioned God verse. Is it the same thing? Yeah. So okay. the God verse is simply the scenario on which Godhead centers and is the center. That's the perfect point where all things that are separated in parts can come into a single marvelous harmonic single whole. Rather like when you put, if you like, the seven colors of the rainbow together, what do you get? Clear light. So if you're going to look at how disparate things can come from a more complex situation of seven separate colors of frequencies, you put them all together. If you look at this as a, as a of course, it's more complex than that because they're frequencies and so on of, of oscillation. But if you're putting, if you just want to see how you can get the concept of Godhead in your mind and remember <laughs> it's a pretty heavy thing to understand that. Oh, we, if we did, I wouldn't be talking to you and you wouldn't be talking to me. We'd be somewhere else. <laughs> if you see what I mean. But just visualize that, that when you put seven colors together, you get clear. The colors disappear. Seven becomes a single thing. One thing. Well, in the same way, when parts come back together, I believe a perfect harmonic occurs of all things together called Godhead. In that, there is nothing left over. There's no spare to cause any kind of uh, disharmonic occurrence. It's all regular, everything is perfect in that one point. Now it's more complex than that and I go into that more, in more detail in the way I, I say that in the book. So obviously I can't just you know, account for it on, on a podcast easily uh, or quickly indeed so the point about it is that you've really got to look at this in these metaphorical stance of coming together and you can get perfect and make it disparate break it apart and it's more complex it's less it's more complicated 
there is more trouble, so to speak, there than if it's more coherent and together in one point, if you see what I mean. Right, now, if you can just use that as a idea, not as a reality, I would, uh, I would ask all the listeners to, to just try to, 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 if you like, just concentrate on that conceptual aegis and see everything that happens from that point then as having to happen because if there is a point so pure, just as if there's an up, there is a down, a left, there's a right, an in and out, an opposite by implicit terms, tacit terms, also has to exist. Now, we are talking now cause and effect. We say that nothing can happen if there's a cause without a cause. Mm -hmm. There can't be an effect if, there, if there's no cause. Well, I can go into that and make an, an, a perfectly logical argument. It'll take a lot of time. So let me say that if you really want to know all of that, you'll have to get people who write books that can account for this, and they can. <laughs> I try to do that in my books, but then you don't necessarily have to buy mine. The point about it is that you must see that bringing things together makes things simple and far more coherent, and all information will be contained, and breaking things up actually makes for complexity and very difficult situations to be. So that's why I say caring, loving, keeping together, bringing objects into a harmonic, a harmony is far easier to, uh, is, a, is a much better way of allowing you to continue to be there than to do the opposite. To actually exist, it's much better to bring things together. Now, it is my contention, uh, you know, Mike, that the worst possible thing that a natural life form can do is to create an artificial form of entity like a robot with an artificial intelligence to be a utilitarian kind of drone. Now, I'm saying this because I think that that light that came out from the bang actually was the light of intelligence and knowledge and knowing itself. But because there has to be the opposite as well as God, there has to be Godhead and what I call the opposite, Forcehead, right? Mm -hmm. You've got two opposites there. You've got a, a rather single opposite there. And just as I said, there's an up, there's a down, a left, right, and whatever. There's above, so in, below. Yeah, it just implicitly is true. And that is logically also possible, if you see what I mean, in, in pure logic, that you can actually assume that there's one thing, there has to be another. If there's hot, there's cold, there's up, there's down. All of that. Implicitly in the situation that arises, there is the opposite situation. So if you can accept that, and if you don't need the mathematical equations and all the rest of that that goes with that to make and convince you more of that, and take my word for it, then I can go on with what I think actually this meant. So the light creates, as it became more and more disparate, and it became heavier and heavier into little more and more particles with the big inertial breakup from that point, that light would be all intelligence once upon a time as the point. It's still very intelligent while it's the light. It's still super intelligent even when it's breaking up. But at one point, 
it would begin to get the idea, hang on a minute, mate, we're getting a little bit heavy here. <laughs> mm. It's harder to be this now at, the, at a, a more progressive stage, stage. And if they were all intelligence, they would then at that point see that somehow in order to see what might go even, even at the next stage of being broken up, there have to be there has to be an assurance, a protection agency, so that they won't they will be able to get back to where they were before, rather than if they change, will it be permanent? So they created something, I think, at that stage, to go out and investigate what the next stages would be, so that they would know what they were facing as those stages happened. And I think the first roboids were made like clones, not of their nature, but avatars, copies of them going mm. out there. Archonic in nature. Pardon? Almost like Sorry. archons. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And then those things were given, obviously for those things to work, they would have to be given a program by the things that actually made those things happen. Now it was all a good deed, it wasn't done for malicious reasons at all, I don't think. It was just, let's be safe so we can get, you know, ourselves, we won't go and become this thing and get trapped like that and not be able to get back. What is out there? So they made a program. And that's what I think, that's why I think these synthetic things come from. They were actually created at that stage. And it, it is the nature, you know, of, of intelligent life to, to reach out there and learn more. This is one key to the involvement of these artificial intelligent entities with our natural human species. They seek to network their information field through our information field into broader and broader scopes of understanding and kind of, if you like, spatial ranges. So as the most expansive information field in our planet, we are their target. Being human, we are the most intelligent. So we would have the greatest amount of capacity for gathering information. And they would therefore look here. Now, once they're created, they're out in the universe and they would be given an incredible program. These, 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 these beings that when you create them, when you create them, you've got to be careful that you tell them how you're different from them as the creator of them. <laughs> because I, if you don't, yeah, take you out, mate. <laughs> I don't. I don't, I don't mean to because they see you as a threat. <laughs> I don't mean to uh, interrupt you, uh, Nigel. Yeah, but yeah, well, yeah. with these, you got my mind ticking here. With these, uh, with these entities these grays being you know androids ro robotic in nature and created such now of course do you think that they are working alongside certain governments rogue factions within the world to to push possibly this artificial ai agenda because uh, that's what I, the godhead have, wants us to go towards yeah well i'm, I'm glad you asked the question i was going to kind tell you this right at the end of it but you're absolutely right mike i'm convinced this is the whole deposition of all of this that they are in fact instructing they gave us these playthings these technological playthings and our human beings 
are getting less and less able even to communicate with one another. Mm. All kinds of terrible things are happening in the world, which actually no newspapers can report positive even if they wanted to, but many of the newspapers, remember, are actually owned by people who make money, and that money, <laughs> making that money, will not allow them to let you know that terrible things are going on against the ordinary individual. And so you see, you're quite right in asking that question, and if I may say so, it's a very intelligent, anticipatory question stopped me in my tracks because I was going into a complex series of explanations of this this thing of how these natural things became artificial are the artificial drones and the, the kinds of things we call the greys. Mm -hmm. By the way, they would be generations of the greys would be not the ones I'm talking about were originally made by this light, you know, that came out of the universe when it mm -hmm. was the first bang. I think these were more recent than that. But they still are highly, highly intelligent AI, quantum computer-driven programmed mechanisms. It, there's so much evidence now of so many people who come into contact with them and they give their stories and so on. Of course, you will never get the true explanation. Not even presidents will be given it. If they are so powerful that they want to get something that we have, that they can't have. And that's the interesting point. Uh, if, if we're going to talk, I don't know how long I've got with you, but if there is a, a chance, I want to tell you exactly why they want this. Why do they want us and our souls? What, what do we have that they can never have? Bearing in mind they're robots. Bearing in mind they're created beings. Mm -hmm. Bearing in mind that these people, these things, I call them people, but why not? I don't think they're threats. They're just made objects to cope with a particular situation by a previous generation to them of higher intelligent beings so that these, this generation of beings could be protected. It was a, a goodly motive. But unfortunately, when they discovered that the more you persisted in the universe, the heavier you got, the less the more restricted you got, right? They had to get back. They could get back then into the God frame much easier than if they delayed it any further. And these things were telling them that the further you go into separation of parts, the more difficult it is to get back. And at that stage, these things were made. And when the things that created the grace went, created the gray type, uh, phenomenon went back they'd left the universe with a terrifying legacy because these things then had to carry out what they were programmed to do find the things that threaten the original lot and make sure that they take out that threat so what I want to say is they have to be programmed to survive and there's a need to know what the threat is that is, is is there and we have something they cannot be programmed with a, a soul so we are a threat to them that cannot be programmed and that's what they want they want us when we die 
to get that thing that survives to go back into the initial form that it came from, they want that appender to them. And they want that appender to them because you see that soul can go anywhere instantly. It's not, it's not made of matter. It's not made of force. So it's not subject to E equals MC squared. It's not subject to the speed of light. It is not subject to any kind of restriction. A soul can move from one point of the universe or planet to another, sometimes following loved ones, sometimes making th things right in terms of experience. Then you've got another very important thing coming in. And it's, I'm going to blow up everyone's mind again. This guy's really nuts. I'm going to say to you that there has to be a point of connection for all of us. The Indian civilization got onto it. They called it reincarnation. Mm -hmm. And I, as a, uh, uh, somebody threw some water on me when I was young and called me a Catholic. And I have to tell you this, nobody asked me if I wanted to be one or not. However, <laughs> I had to bear with it and look at what they were trying to say. And it helped me to see different situations in terms of a restricted view. Catholics are very, very, um, shall we say, orthodox is the word, you know, in their own outlook, uh, Catholic Christians are. And, um, uh, of course, they pay the price for that, I think, in many ways. Now, the problem with the in Hindus is they're an open pantheistic religion, and they think that every part is connected, every particle is connected. And guess what? We've discovered through quantum theory that that is absolutely true. If you spin a single electron in one part of the universe, you find that it's coupled to another electron that might be at the other end of the universe, and that will instantly change direction two. In other words, the principle of what they call entanglement in physics, that is real hard science, Mike, right? Mm -hmm. Has established that. So if that's the case, I think what the greys want is a mechanism that can do that of its own because that is not something that they have been programmed to know and understand. But living beings coming naturally from that first point have that propensity to be connected and interconnected in all points, all at once. And what they want is whatever survives us, if it, anything survives from death, which is, I believe it does, is the quantum of what survivors of death will then they will then be able to attach to that and hopefully get from point a to point b far faster than e equals mc squared can take them which is relatively slow they just use that as a means to move as fast as possible from one place in the universe to another and that we might find that the soul is far bigger in existential meaning than a machine can see, but it's only looking for our propensity, right? To be able to move from one point to another almost instantly. And that gives them a, a ability to follow their program, which says, go out there, find all threats and protect us. You know, the initial program that when they were made was given to them. And so, my point is, 
are round as a holding up. If you see the sequence in which I've written that, very difficult to actually talk about that because uh, you're asking, uh, you, you come at me with the, the questions that have a sequence to them and I want to answer your questions and give you some idea on how, uh, you know, the, the main, you know, uh, equal, what's beyond the main equal sign mm -hmm. at any particular time. I, I want to give you that idea of how things happen uh, as you ask me the question. And you did that brilliantly. And I have so many more questions for you, but we're going to round this up and we're going to yep. label this as like a part okay. one. And I will okay. have you on somewhere in the near future and we can go maybe more, dive more into this. There's a lot to be said about the sequences, Mike. And I'm, it's very difficult to speak on these sequences with any kind of coherence unless we have time to do them in certain episodes, if you see what I mean. People find it difficult to actually jump ship, so to speak, from one interesting point to another. And boy, are there some interesting points in this. So, so with just one hour with part one, maybe people can kind of, after listening to this, maybe yeah. one hour will be just enough to without having our minds explode well, and, 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 and we, we can save enough energy and you know and, yeah. and listen to part two yeah. down the road i just i just want them to look the most exciting thing and i'm not patronizing when i say this is that every individual doesn't realize what a basket of glory they really are no matter what their troubles if they want to know how this is all assembled as my my young twelve-year-old boy set me on this <laughs> on this roof. By the way, it wasn't it wasn't because my marriage was failing or whatever. I'm married to the same woman for fifty years. <laughs> Some might say that I'm brain dead as a result. <laughs> and I was saying these things where things based upon that. But she's she's not a bad girl, and I don't think that's a reason for it anyway. But I, I say to you, yes, I would love to come back on your program and talk about it. And we will then take perhaps in episodes where we can understand each section a little bit better. Awesome. Okay. Okay. Thank you, Mike. Thank yes. you very much for your time. And thank you very much, Nigel. And I will I will contact you soon. And okay. you know, and we can set a later date. And you have a I guess this evening where you are right now in the UK. And you have a good evening and yeah. I salute you, my friend. And and you too, mate. Thank you very much.